Good, so you've all found 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, I'm sure by now, and if you haven't, behind me, hopefully, the uh, words will all appear from the scripture. Before we do that, let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you that this word, this Bible is a gift of grace to us. Thank you, it shows us how to live, demonstrates your life. It helps us communicate and connect with the living God. And we thank you too that you send your spirit to help us understand all that's written here. And we pray you would do that right now. Come upon each of us. Come and make this come alive to us. Let it live not just in our minds and hearts, but in our experience. We would live differently because we read the scriptures today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 4, 1 to 7. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of students, of, uh, stewards and students that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by any of you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, I don't pronounce judgment uh, before the appointed time, for the Lord comes, who will bring to light things that are now hidden in darkness and will discl disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may uh, learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you would be puffed up in favor of one against another. <clears throat> for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why do you boast about it as if you had not received it? <clears throat> On the surface, a bit of a complicated argument. We need to understand what was happening in the church a little bit. Why was he writing this letter? Uh, we know that the Corinthian church was fairly young. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Only a few years in existence. And it was full of very diverse people from right across the Roman Empire. It was a port city, so all kinds of people arrived there. And so a very mixed group coming with different philosophies and experiences of life. And what happened was uh, Paul had been in, uh, in Corinth for a few, uh, just a few years, probably not long, really, maybe not even a few, was it a few, yes, I think it was a couple of years, not very long, and he had birthed this church, and then he'd left, and they had written to him, and he'd had communication with people who uh, had been there, and there were some complaints about him as a leader. It seems as if they weren't very impressed with him. They'd seen people whose style they preferred. They thought, well, this guy's a better orator. He's a better speaker than you, Paul. And, and this one, we, like, we just like his style. We like the way he does things. And the church has started to kind of separate off into groups because they, they like the kind of celebrity of leadership. Now, if we think back in the Old Testament, we might remember a similar kind of story. Do you remember when Israel asked for a king? They said, we want a king. We, we like the nations around us. We've got the pomp and ceremony of a king. And actually, God was to be their king. It was to be a theocracy, yeah, not a, certainly not a democracy, but they, they, it wasn't this kind of kingdom with a king. It was, the king was God. God. The presence of God was with the people. That's all they needed. But they said, no, we want a celebrity. And my goodness, they got one. They get Saul, the head and shoulders man, the rock star king, and they got all of the pain that was promised with a king. And it began to uh, just corrupt the nation. 
Whereas before, each one would know the Lord. Now, each one wants to get near the king, who was Saul. And, and ultimately, God had to redeem that. And it took just, just centuries and centuries, eons, really, for that to be redeemed. Jesus had to come ultimately. And here in Corinth, something similar is happening. The message of Jesus, the presence of the Spirit was enough. That's what had transformed this community. They had been changed beyond all recognition. All, that had, uh, all, all the baggage they brought with them, God was sorting it out by his presence through his word. And now they're getting excited about individual leaders, about celebrities. And they're beginning to divide up. And Paul knows this is going to be a problem. It's not just a problem for them. It will be a problem as the church grows and progresses on from Corinth. And Paul's frustration with the Corinthians is it's born of a parental concern. He, he says to them, when we talked about this the other week, you've got 10,000 guardians, but few fathers. You know, a, a guardian, you know, a, a teacher. And this would be like a, the, the, the word guardian is a difficult one to translate apparently. It's like the, the slave of the household who would take them to school, as it were. So a, a kind of hired hand. Uh, so not that they weren't involved, but they weren't a father. And I would say this, there, is, there are many people that want you to like, to subscribe. There are many people who want you to follow them in our kind of world. But there's few who can be your father and mother and brother and sister, which is why the importance of God's family. And this is the language, this is the concern that Paul has. It's as, it's as a father. He's saying, I, I love you. As a father, I care about you passionately. <clears throat> I don't even care if you dislike me, if you're fed up with me, if you're not very impressed with me. I'm just not concerned about that because I'm concerned for your souls. I'm concerned for the church, for the kingdom of God, for the gospel of grace, that that would continue to be taught. And so Paul is writing saying, this is how you should think about leadership. This is how you should think about those who God puts in um, kind of authority within the church. You see, they weren't unfamiliar with authority. We're going to come and look at the different kinds of authority that would have been uh, would have been familiar to them: the, the Romans, the Pharisees, and maybe even now these celebrity leaders. Or they, the celebrity leaders. Just to be clear, they weren't projecting themselves as celebrities, but they were being seen by the by the church as, oh wow. To the, to the detriment of the gospel. It was all about the style. It was all about, you know, this one against that one. It was forgetting the content of the gospel. And Paul's going to use this same argument a number of times as we work our way through this letter. He's saying this. He's saying, the gospel does one thing, and in your, but in your celebrating of that one thing, you are denying the thing that you're celebrating. And so here we see the gospel is, is flattening the hierarchies of society. He's saying there's no celebrities here. He's saying that the gospel, everyone needs Christ on the same level. Everyone, rich, poor, smart, not so smart, influential, not influential, everyone needs it the same. Everyone is the same. No one is more important than anybody else in God's family, nobody. And here, as you celebrate that, you are elevating some to be celebrity, to celebrity status. It's, it's ridiculous. Brothers and sisters, we are in danger of doing that too. Our like, follow, subscribe culture does just that. Just the thing that he's writing 
to the Corinthians about. We can gather around a podcast. We can gather around a video. We can gather around the latest book. And we can get excited. And I said before, and I said last week, how do you know if this leader is good? How do you know? You know this leader is good because you go away excited about Jesus. You go away passionate to follow him. You go away in awe of the gospel of Jesus, of of the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God that he loves you simply because he loves you. If you go away from any encounter feeling that, from your connect groups, from any church service, from anything, then there's a leader. If you go away thinking, wow, what a great speaker. Wow, what an engaging personality. We've we've started to miss it. (laughs) We'll come on to what do you do if you are gifted a little bit later. But let's begin with that. But Paul uses this argument. It'd be a little, be a little bit like this. Can you imagine, imagine, might, might be not so hard to imagine. Imagine if I were trying to lose a lot of weight. Now, maybe some of you were here. Just imagine I was doing that and I actually achieve it. And, I, and then to celebrate me losing a lot of weight, I'd go on a chocolate binge for a fortnight to celebrate. And that, that's what it's like. And Paul's saying, what are you doing? He's celebrating the gospel, which brings unity, which levels the hierarchies by what? Creating hierarchies. Crazy. Celebrating one over another. But what about the other kinds of leadership they would have been familiar with? Well, we have, I suppose the dominant one would have been the Roman Empire. Everyone was subject to the Romans at this stage. It's about power. It's about military might. It's about dominance. The greatest might maybe the world had known to this point it would be ruthlessly hierarchical, absolutely ruthlessly hierarchical. And the fight was to get higher than somebody else, to, to, to achieve your, your family status to increase. Might was right for the, for the Romans. And they, they did it, as I say, ruthlessly. They built their roads, they built their garrisons and their armies, and they just came and took over again and then again and again, dominated the known world. That would be how they understood power and leadership. That's how you get stuff done. This is what Tom Holland writes in his book, Dominion. It is the audacity of it. The audacity of finding uh, in a twisted and defeated corpse the glory of the creator of the universe that serves to explain more surely than anything else the sheer strangeness of, of Christianity and of the civilization which it gave birth. We are all heirs to the same revolution a revolution that has at its molten heart the image of God dead on a cross. Suddenly, a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of leadership is revealed to the world. It's Jesus. Totally different. That, that you can hardly imagine the contrast. We know how things get done in our world, we know how it happens. It's power, it's might, it's hierarchies. That's how it works. And suddenly God reveals himself, twisted and broken on a cross. The contrast is startling and we shouldn't, we should be startled by it. I know we know it. We're familiar with it in a way that they probably weren't. But we should still be startled by it. It was no longer command and conquer. We're familiar with that. It was suffer and serve. This is so different. It's it's starting even to us now, the way we think maybe things should be done. 
And it's against this backdrop of this empire, convinced it knew how the world worked, that quietly the gospel began to change everything. Everything changed. You are recipients. We said this before too. You are recipients of this gospel, Christian or not. The things you have, if you're passionate about the sanctity of life, if you are passionate about the rights of an individual, if you're passionate about, about law, if you're passionate about justice, it's because of the gospel most likely. It's because our culture, our society has been changed forever by this gospel. We're going to look at three things today, just three things, and it will be, it's going to be short today. No, it's half term. Everyone's been off with COVID, so we'll keep it nice and short. Three things today. Firstly, leaders don't dominate, they serve. First, as faithful servants of Christ. Secondly, what do I do with this personal gifting that I've been blessed with? It's not to be leveraged for personal gain, but to be shared for the good of the church, the advancement of the gospel. And then finally, it's all graciously given from God for us to be thankful for. So firstly, and again, against this backdrop of the Roman Empire, leaders don't look to dominate, they serve. So Paul says it's as servants of Christ that we want to be known. And we see this contrast with the Romans, but there are other leadership styles they would have been familiar with. The Pharisees were leaders. The Pharisees were religious leaders. They were holy, and they wanted to be seen to be so. Their behavior was to be seen by all. The robes they wore, the language they used, the way they conducted themselves on the street corners and in the temple were to be seen by all. They needed the adulation of their followers to fill some hole that the gospel was designed to fill. They were obsessed with their status in the community. Their, their, their leadership, and this is often the, the religious way, their leadership was to guilt trip people into behaving differently. Actually, doesn't work very well. And as Jesus pointed out, it, if you do achieve it, it's only a surface thing anyway. He said to them, you, you're, it's like you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. I mean, it was vicious. Sometimes we are tempted to do that. It, I mean, we don't do this, but imagine uh, the offering going round, and we don't do that in these COVID days. Maybe, maybe we should again soon. It would be like me bringing out a big wad of cash and waving it and dropping it in for all to see. This was the Pharisees' way. They loved to be seen to do the right thing. Everyone else thinking, oh my goodness, they're so, so holy, so generous, so kind. Wow. But, and Jesus pointed this out in his interactions with them. He said, it doesn't help anybody. It just makes everyone feel so wretched and useless they can't participate. And thus elevating the Pharisees higher in the culture. Leadership can be like that. Jesus, of course, very, very different. And ultimately, no change of heart. Nothing inside has changed. They're still full of dead men's bones. They're stopping people get close to God because this facade of holiness is out in front. Nothing changed in the heart. And of course, we've seen the Roman Empire. So you've got piety from the Pharisees. You've got power from the Romans, and then maybe, maybe we need to add, for us, celebrity. 
You can celebrity lead people, can't you? you? Oh my goodness, their life is so wonderful. Their Instagram existence is just so attractive. They're such beautiful people. You know, they, their life is so amazing. I'd like, do you know what? Do you know what I found? That, um, look, here's, a, here's a little personal revelation. Instagram, which, is, which does that sort of thing, doesn't it? It makes me miserable. It's, it, it, and I think that's quite well known. It seems like they even know that these days. It just makes you, and, and a, lot of, a lot of this stuff, it just makes you miserable. Because you realize, oh, but my life is nothing like this. And of course, the lie is that those theirs, really. There was some celebrity, I won't name who it was, who was, was I think it was, there was some conversation about this amazing swimming pool they had, this beautiful Miami-style pool, beautiful color. And they said, oh, I've never used it. <laughs> what? What? So we can get all obsessed, and that, maybe that's what the Corinthians were doing, get all excited about the wrong thing. And into all of that, Jesus appears with a, with a totally different kind of leadership. His leadership was remarkable, remarkable, st staggeringly different to the point where you would think, this can't possibly work. This, this can't possibly work. How are you going to lead anyone when you behave the way that you did? This is what he was like against the, against the backdrop of those other styles. He loved the poor and the downtrodden. He just made a beeline for people who were in serious trouble. And he welcomed them when they came to him. He, he welcomed the little children. He loved, he loved playing with children. How many celebrity leaders do we know that just do that? How many politicians? How many? We, it just doesn't really happen. It just certainly didn't happen then. He served the hungry. He served the hungry. He used his power to advance the cause of the powerless. This is how he, this is how he did things. He washed the feet, the stinking, filthy, feet of his own followers. The group that did go with him everywhere, he gets down on his knees and he gets a towel and he washes their feet. This was the job of the lowest servant in the household. What are you doing? What are you doing, said Peter? What are you doing? He's teaching us how it works. He's teaching us about his kingdom. He says, you want to change the world? This is how you do it. If you want this gospel of grace to be loved and adored, if you want Jesus to be known, this is how it's done. No wonder Paul was passionate. They didn't get caught up with this kind of crazy celebrity worship there in Corinth. And then there's the things that he didn't do. He didn't use his power to gain wealth or status. He, did, he could have done that. He could have had, in our day, the, the mega yacht. He could have had the palace. He could have had the gold. He could have had the foreign dignity, dignitaries just making a beeline for his front door. They, he could have done that. But he knew. There's no way. That's not, that's not the Father's way. 
That's not, the, that's not the kingdom he's building. He didn't use his authority to wow the rich and the famous. He didn't. He was himself a gift from the Father to identify, to suffer, to serve, to identify with us, ordinary people. He was a gift and he continued to give to the point of death. Gave everything he had, everything. And he gave his flesh and his blood. Gave himself for you and for me. Jesus talking to his disciples in Matthew 20 talks about leadership and the contrast between how they should be and how the Gentiles or those, the color culture around were. This is what he says. You know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever will be first amongst you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is how it is in God's kingdom. So we are to be servants. Servants as leaders, servants of one another. So here's, here's the, the question that maybe if you've been listening the last, last few weeks that has occurred to you, we need to answer. Okay. But what about, what if I am gifted? What if I am connected? What, I, what if I do have a bit of money? What, what am I supposed to do then? How, do I, how am I supposed to behave? Um, under the heading of look, personal gifting, not to be leveraged for personal gain, but to be shared for the good of the church, the advancement of the gospel. Fortunately, we have a good example in Paul, the writer of this letter himself. Paul was exceptional. <laughs> He was an exceptional man. And so the way he behaved is good for those amongst us who actually do have a measure of gifting. Let's see what Paul says of himself in, in, in Philippians in chapter 3, because he kind of makes this point here. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, if you think you're gifted, he says, I have more. And he describes it. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, a Pharisee. He says, I had it all. I had everything that you could possibly ask for in this, in this religious setup. I had it all. I was top of the pile. And then what does he say? He says, but whatever my gains, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might, that I might gain Christ to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings, to become like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Next to his wonder, his worship of Jesus, all those other things paled into insignificance. Once 
this gifted man humbly recognizes that the gifts that he's been given are not for him, not just for him, not for his personal grandizement, as it were. He treats them, he treats them very differently. He thinks about them differently. He carries them with, with grace, not looking for opportunities to promote himself out of others, but to make much of his savior. That's how you use your gifts. That's what Paul says, first as servants of Christ and then as servants of God's people. Why? Because he is in awe of his Savior. He has looked deeply at the cross. He's seen his own sin. He's seen the wonder of Jesus. Peter makes this point in his own letter. He writes this, as each uh, has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Again, another one of Jesus' followers who is in awe of Jesus. Anything he has, it's for him. for the kingdom of God. And then finally, everything is grace gift from God. At the end of that little passage we started with, Paul says, what have you got that you didn't receive from God anyway? What have you got? And I suppose he's asking us, what have you got that you didn't receive from God? Do you think you just, out of this, your own cleverness and strength, did all of this? Everything that's good, says James, is a gift from God. All good things are from him. If you've got anything in your life that you are pleased about or happy with or is good, it's a grace gift from God, everything. And these early believers, and it's staggering to see how they lived. It really is. I am constantly amazed. The only explanation is they realized these things. These were real to them. Jesus has done everything for me, grateful for everything. That's the attitude that they had, just so grateful, overwhelmingly so that they would follow him wholeheartedly. For Jesus, to make him known, to worship him, to make much of his grace, to make the gospel clear and attractive, I'll pour my life, my gifting, everything I have, I'll pour it in to that one aim. So, sounds obsessive. It does. They're, they're disciples. They are followers. They love him. And they changed the world forever if we're wondering how they got on <laughs> they changed the world forever they lived lives of sacrifice and suffering some it seems we read in Acts some they sort of hung around so that they might suffer more to identify more with Christ we're thinking that's it's crazy but they loved him so much they believed in the risen Jesus I get annoyed when the service goes on a bit long and the juice isn't very nice. Don't you? Oh, it's, it's a bit warm in here. It's a bit cold in here. My friends aren't here today. I thought they were coming. Who's, what's he talking about now? They, they suffered. They gave their lives for him. They were slaughtered. <laughs> so maybe a few things to take away. 
leaders serve. Why? Because they're following Jesus. That's what they do. They serve. Just get on and serve. They're not interested in celebrity or status or hierarchy. Just not interested. It's just not in their minds. They live lives of gratitude. That's true for all of us. We, we, do you know what? Just to, you'd st- we'd stand out in this culture if we just didn't moan. <laughs> you would. Every job I've ever had. I've, taught, I've done all kinds of jobs, lots of different kinds of jobs. Just not moaning means you stand out. That's all you have to do. Just don't moan. Just go a week without moaning. And people are like, what are you taking? <laughs> Live a life of gratitude. Not, not forcing it, but just being excited about Jesus for a day or two. It'll make all the difference. This is how they live. This is how they... It was, it was, a, it was a, a heart change. The Pharisees couldn't affect the heart. Celebrity can't affect the heart. Jesus changes your heart, gives you a new one. He says, there's stone, I'm gonna give you flesh. You can do it. This is the gospel. This is why they're excited. Timothy writes, Godliness with contentment is of great gain. He's saying, just don't moan. (laughs) A life which shares faith and hope with those around you. You have every reason to be filled with hope. Every reason. You You are on a victory procession to the throne room of Christ, to the throne of God, and nothing can stop you, nothing. Hell can't stop you, the devil himself can't stop you. That's your destiny, that's where you're headed. Forget celebrity swimming pools, you get to stand before the father of the universe and he says, well done. And then live a life serving others. That's how it gets done, from that heart of gratitude, taking myself off the pedestal, loving others. We changed the world, brothers and sisters. That's what Jesus did. He gave, and we are to give in response. Amen.